Yes, indeed. Triple R is where you are. I'm hoping you can all hear me now. I believe uh, we had some technical issues there. You're listening to Radio Marinara, six minutes past nine. It's probably the latest start that we've had in the 23 years of um, broadcasting that we've had. So... Look, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for bearing with us uh, in this current age of, uh, of technological challenges. Um, we are the program about all things wet and salty. And uh, look, first of all, a, uh, a thank you again to Tim Thorpe. Well, thank you again from me. It's probably the first time you're hearing it. And um, thanks to uh, Retro Andrew Minger and to Peter Joseph Head uh, for their segments, which was uh, fantastic. And you can catch Tim next Saturday at 6 o'clock for more Vital Bits. Uh, on today's program, we're going to shortly be joined by Rex Hunter. Rex is going to give us a little uh, look back in time with some tales of history of quarantine in Port Phillip. We're all living through this current age of isolation and for some quarantine and um, we are going to be having a look back at the history of quarantine in Port Phillip over the years. So really looking forward to that. We'll then be crossing to Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales Australia and uh, also the Dolphin Research Institute. Dave's going to be telling us about some very exciting um, sightings of killer whales in Port Phillip Bay that have been happening during the week and a really exciting event which will be taking place next uh, weekend. In fact, next Sunday, some live uh, online whale watching. So Dave will be out there and you can actually join in from the comfort of your own homes, which is going to be pretty amazing. We're then going to be speaking with Kate Howard. She's the founding director and head of research at the Marine Mammal Foundation. She'll be talking to us about the uh, complex social structures of dolphins and the use of drones in their research. And uh, in this month's chapter of Cabin Boy Diaries to close the show, we'll be catching up with our very own Brett Ditchfield talking cooter boats and uh, how a humble fishing boat became the favourite of the Melbourne corporate set. Goodness me, we're heading into corporate world, which is not what we usually do here at Triple R and particularly on Radio Marinara, but we're going to do it anyway. Cade, are you there with us? He's dropped it. We've dropped him out of Skype. He's dropped off. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we got a uh, we got a weak signal notice from uh, Skype. Oh, okay. Yeah. So all he's right. Just dropped out. That's all right. Cade was um, bringing to you a couple of things. He was bringing to you uh, the weather, and um, <laughs> so oh, there we go. We might have Cade back on. We've got Cade. <laughs> We've got Kate Howard, have we? Oh no, here's Cade again. We got Cade. Uh, am I here? Yes, you are. <laughs> we got there. Oh my goodness me! How are you, Cade? Fantastic. It's so good to have you. I don't know if you heard much of that or all of that or some of that. I did. I, I was listening online via the app so that I could hear what was going on. And I did hear Kent shuffling around in the studio for a couple of minutes. <laughs> Radio. All calm and collected, I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> oh. I could feel the tension coming through the airwaves. Oh, no tension at all. No, we always love a challenge here on Radio Marinara. And I'm sure we could, I don't know, I was picking up vibes from people listening going, come on, Marinara team, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> Either that or they were just going and, you know, making their breakfast, but who knows. How are you, Cade? I'm doing well. I'm in a shoebox broadcasting live. It's so much fun. <laughs> but I, I did manage to get down to the beach yesterday Yep. and got myself in the water for a surf. And look, I'm going to do a quick weather because we had discussed that at the moment. I think it's, it's 1.8 degrees outside and it feels like minus 1.6. So wow. it is chilly wow. out there. We're reaching top of 14 today. We've got light northerly winds. We've got a low tide at 10.30, a high tide at uh, 4.30 at the heads. We have perfect conditions to be on the water, whether you want to go sailing, surfing, boating. There's a couple of foot weather swells, so nice on the beaches. It's basically, hopefully you're listening to this on your way down to 
through the coast. Yeah. It's a perfect day for it. Absolutely stunning day out there today. Um, thanks for the weather. Oh, look, I, that's I, what I'm here for. <laughs> I, you're all here. I need to do is shuffle some paper in the background so it really sounds like we're in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> you're here for so much more than that. A um, couple of things I wanted to mention. Do you have any news first up? So I just had a quick one. Whoops, that's, that's Kate coming in. <laughs> uh, Cade Mills, are you still there? Oop, I think we dropped off Cade. Cade should still be there. Cade, are you there? Here he is, yep. All right, Cade, are you there? No. I uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you are. There you are. <laughs> we thought you were bringing us a sound <laughs> effect here, for a second. Apparently. You got a quick bit of news for us. I do. Look, the... Um VMPAs or the Reef Watchers Sea Slug Census is coming up on the to the <coughs> in just a little while. Basically, it's just an excuse for people to go out, do some rockful rambling, get in the water and take some photos of nudie banks. So while the water is chilly, the dive community and everyone has been quite busy. So this is just an opportunity to get out there, learn a little bit more and potentially find a couple of new species. Awesome. Yes. Big plug for that. We should put those details on our Facebook page, as we always do. Speaking of which, um, you can always catch up with what we do on this program with um, various links and bits and pieces that we put on our Facebook page. So if there's something that you think, oh, I wonder what they were talking about that, uh, you know, a couple of shows ago, I wonder um, if I can find some more information, go and have a look at our Facebook page because often we put the link up there. Um, and uh, the Triple R page, of course, the Radio Marinara page is where uh, Kent places our playlist too, if you wondering particular song uh, i'm going to get into songs in a minute because today is actually quite a significant day um a couple of because uh, today i'm just going to say today would have been the community cup for 2020 so you know for those of us who are deeply involved in that it's it's a bit of a sad day but i'm going to play some tracks that'll hopefully make it feel like we're still connected to the community cup and it will of course only be a matter of time before we're back in that space again um couple of plugs I wanted to mention. One was a message that came through our Facebook page from Diane. Thank you, Diane. Mentioning and, yes, neglectful of us, or me in particular, to not mention this over the last couple of weeks, the um, Australian East Coast Current program on ABC on Tuesday evenings, which uh, people have been talking about, and um, I'm going to be catching up with that one on, uh, on iView over the next couple of days, or inspiring. Have you caught that one, Kate? I have not. I don't have a television in my house, so I need to jump online and have a look at that one. I've, similar to you, I've seen a lot about it, so looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm hearing rave reviews about it, which is fantastic. So, um, yeah, we'll catch up with that one. So thank you, Diane. Uh, a couple of other one plugs I wanted to mention. There's some um, pr um, films that have been placed online that you can view where, you know, pre-coronavirus era you would have had to have gone and um, and sourced it somehow or just waited for it to screen somewhere so big um, shout out to Mick Sowery local filmmaker um, extraordinaire filmmaker doesn't do him justice with the uh, amazing artistic talent of Mick Sowery and um, his two creations The Reef and Musica Surfica are both now available to watch online um, if you haven't seen them I just just make the time in whatever you're doing to uh, to catch up with these online because they're absolutely fantastic. Radio Marinara is where you're at and uh, we are having all sorts of difficulties this morning. What I'm going to do is um, mention a few bits and pieces of news that I have um, that I've been carting around for a while. One is from Ocean Mind and this is a, a wonderful uh, initiative on behalf of Ocean Mind. 
Um, they've teamed up with uh, iconic surfboard shapers and artists to launch Art Unleashed. It's a very special online art auction and uh, all funds raised will support the organisation's groundbreaking work to transform the lives of young people experiencing mental health challenges, social isolation and disabilities. Ocean Mind is committed to changing young people's lives through th- uh, surf therapy and um, they've mentioned here they're thrilled to be launching their very own art auction fundraiser Art Unleashed and to be collaborating with an amazing team of legendary surfboard shapers and renowned artists. Um, So this is uh, six legendary surfboard shapers and artists. They've donated their time, materials and talent to support Ocean Mind through unique collaborations. And uh, the the, um, surfboard shapers have been uh, Morris Cole, um, Natalie Martin, Corey uh, Graham and Xavier Davies, Luca Rossi from Babel Surfboards and Aaron Reinboth. So um, bidding for Art Unleashed. It's open from now until 27th of June at uh, app.galabid.com slash unleashed. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, So good on you guys. Absolutely fantastic. And Ocean Mind have um, done these sorts of initiatives before. Another one I wanted to mention was um, Surf Rider and uh, really exciting news that Sean Doherty has um, taken up <laughs> taken up the position of chairman of Surf Rider in Australia. So you might have uh, you might remember we've had various crosses to Sean Doherty over time um, about the uh, the proposal by Equinor to do deep sea drilling in the Great Australian Bight and he's been standing up with the Fight for the Bight campaign. He's now been elected Chairman of Surfrider. So um, big plug out to Surfrider because they just do so much work behind the scenes that we just don't hear about um, enough and uh, some amazing advocacy work to really promote conservation uh, of our oceans. So congratulations Sean to that and um, we look forward to catching up with you in due course. Excellent. Hey, Rex, are you there? Yeah, still there, still there. Something's worked. (laughs) We're good. How are you? Put another 20 cents in the slot so I can hang on. I'm going to get on one of those, you know, Flintstone-type bikes and start pedalling furiously and and, um, that might get us working. Hey, it's lovely to hear your voice. How are you, Rex? Good to almost see you too, (laughs) Brian. Yeah, we we tried the (laughs) Skype thing. It didn't really work. Um, So... Uh, yeah, how are you travelling? And and what's been good, happening good. in the world of maritime archaeology? Well, it's been the best of times and it's been the worst of times because <laughs> uh, coronavirus obviously curtailed all our dive, mixed diving, but um, I've managed to knuckle down and get on with my PhD and do a heap of writing and uh, research. So that's that's been really, really good. Um, and for listeners who haven't really heard you on our show before, um, your PhD, you're looking in the history of, um, was it lime burners in Port Phillip Bay? No, that was, a, that was my master's, oh, Don. Right. Gee, you bring it, I need to bring you up to speed here. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I'm looking at the gold rush ports of, uh, at Melbourne during the 1850s, 1850s, early 1860s, yeah. and sort of linking them together through uh, what's called cluster theory. So I can look at uh, developments that's happened over the uh, 10-year period when the um, shipping just went berserk and Melbourne grew exponentially. In a nutshell, that's it. Okay, fantastic. Now, I've, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that you were going to be taking us back in time with tales of the history of quarantine in Port Phillip. Yeah, yeah, we're going to... If you in Kent and Cade can put your dive gear on, I'll take you way, way down deep into uh, 14th century uh, Italy. So, hang on, how does that relate to Port Phillip Bay? <laughs> it's quarantine. Yeah, right, okay. But, 
So the quarantine is 40 days, so it's whole oh. 10. Oh, got Quarant- it. Quarantine journey. So that, uh, that goes way back to Venice in the 14th century when there was a plague going. So from there, we uh, leap forward to the uh, 1840s in early Melbourne, and um, a ship called the Glen Huntley arrived in Port Phillip with the uh, the the uh, number of people suffering from smallpox. Um, if you everybody be aware of uh, Glen Huntley Road, yes. Well, that's where it got its name from. The ship Glen Huntley was anchored off Port Ormond for a number of weeks, and they set up a quarantine ground on the point where six people died. But previous to that, there'd been well. 11 passengers had died on the voyage out from the UK. So it, um, this was a quarantine brought home to Melbourne in the uh, early 1840s. Wow. So, and of course, so, this isn't just Glen Huntley Road. There's a suburb called Glen Huntley. Um, there's a train station in that suburb called Glen Huntley. So this all dates back to that one ship <laughs> which arrived, when was it again, the 1840s? Yeah, early 1840, April, April 1840. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they weren't, obviously weren't there before the Glen Huntley arrived. Uh, <laughs> spring up afterwards. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, so that, yeah, that's the um, that's how our first ex- Melbourne's really first experience with the uh, quarantine. Okay. So from there, we leap forward a, a few more years, and there was another ship called the uh, Man- Manual- Manless, which arrived in February 1842. And aboard that, they had um, some sickness as well. So uh, on the voyage out um 61 people had actually died from the um i think this might have been typhoid or something like that mm. arrived at uh port Phillip flying yellow flag which was indicated there was something quite serious and so it was uh, told to anchor off point jellybrand at williamstown and uh, again there was another camp set up on shore uh for the sick people and um there was two people two further people died from that so sort of 63 in total on this ship. So that was that was quite uh, quite quite serious, obviously, because I mean Melbourne was only small at the time, you know, virtually a few thousand thousands of people. So it, it was a sort of big big event. So there was an early cemetery at uh, Point Jellybrand as well, which later on when they did developments, the pit, the bodies were dug out and put in the Melbourne General Cemetery. So there's quite a so, history. Sorry, go on, Rex. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, quite a history. As you said, the um, with quarantine in Melbourne, and you know, we know where the word comes from, and it all makes sense. And probably one of the worst, worst uh, cases of uh, well, a ship having been quarantined was a Ticonderoga of uh, Point Nepean. In 1852, that arrived there again. There'd been some serious problems on the way out. Um, this, I think it was 150-odd people had died on the voyage out from the UK. And that was uh, for, well, they told to anchor inside Point Nepean there off what's now known as the quarantine station. So that's where the uh, the original quarantine station got its name from there. And uh, that was held, held there for seven weeks before they were allowed to come up to Melbourne and discharge, and then head back to uh, head back overseas with a, a cargo. Yeah, sorry, it was 100 died in the voyage out. So uh, that 
from there, and, and obviously over the years, people have died and been buried. And I, I know of divers over the years when we used to do a lot of drift diving through there, they've actually seen skulls oh. on the bottom with, really? with the beach had washed. Yeah, the beach had washed away. And uh, these, these bodies have been washed in the sea. Are people still seeing skulls on drift dives, Rex? I don't know. I, I haven't done a drift I've dive. I've never heard of that. That's amazing. I mean, it doesn't doesn't surprise me, but wow. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. That does. used to find yeah, divers from Queenscliff and um, on the uh, on the east side as well would find bones and oh. things like that. So quarantine Port Phillip, this is um, presumably something that was pretty much standard practice at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, they had to when they, ships arrived, they had to be much like it is these days. Customs, customs, and health inspectors. There had to be some sort of system in order to be able to control, um, you know, infectious diseases and all the rest of it. So uh, quarantine's been around for quite a while. Yeah, right. Wow. Yes. Fascinating. And um, just to finish off, the uh, the station stations ceased operating as a quarantine ground in 1980, so you know, 40, 40 years ago it got out the game. So only 40 years ago? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty recent, isn't it, in, in relative? Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So obviously they're, well, they're quarantined in hotels at the moment, but not for 40 days, just two weeks. Absolutely amazing. What have you got coming up for you over the next four to six weeks, Rex? Well, I'm going to be uh, going out with my side scan zone. I'm going to be, because uh, as part of the PhD, I'm looking at um, early sites for gold rush related sites. I've got um, a couple of uh, burning sites. I want to run out over my side scan zone and also a number of um, historic jetty sites as well. I want to record and uh, see what's there. So, awesome. Well, maybe when we catch up with you in a, a month or so. Um, we'll we'll find out what you've been doing in that time. Yes, I haven't been resting, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering what you'd been up to, and <laughs> I guess you know maritime archaeology is, is one of those things that you can probably just keep doing. So yeah, yeah. Well, once I lifted the uh, the uh, restriction of them being able to go out in the boat, I, was, I think the next day I was out in my boat with side scan sonar and that type of thing. Yeah, I think that yeah. was that was pretty much the case for anyone who wanting to do water related stuff. It was like everyone got shot out of a cannon the second that they were able to. <laughs> Like that, yeah, all the fishers and everybody, everybody was out. Divers too, <laughs> yep, I oh know, amazing. Yeah. Awesome, thanks so much, Rex. And, um, really, no problems, Brian. Really great to catch up with you and uh, we'll yeah. catch up with you in a few weeks. No problem, see you then. Okay, see you, bye for now. Bye. Rex Hunter there, our maritime archaeologist, uh, reporting on the history of quarantine Port Phillip Bay. Triple R is where you are, it's 9.32, 28 minutes till 10 o'clock and uh, now we're being joined on the phone by our very our very own, you're ours now, Dave, Dave Donnelly. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm very well and I'm, I'm feeling even better now that I belong to Triple R and Radio <laughs> Marinara. It's, uh, I feel very uh, wanted and yeah. valued. Oh, you absolutely <laughs> are. Now, now, firstly, we, we need to have a correction, don't we? Because I've been saying that the orcas have been in the bay, but they haven't, but pretty close. Well, you've been very naughty, Bron. Um, <laughs> yes, in fact, they've, uh, <laughs> they've been hanging around um, uh, Phillip Island. In fact... They've been hanging around for quite a few days, we believe, right through to uh, Cape Lip Trap and back. Um, we have several sightings of the animals back and forth between this area over a course of about five days. Um, and I guess the most uh, interesting thing about this is that we've been able to match these particular killer whales to our um, East Australian catalogue. And we've matched them to sightings in Tasmania, right back to 2015 in Fortescue Bay on the Tasman Peninsula. 
which is fascinating because they've never been seen in Victoria before. So the first time um, or first record that these particular animals up here in Victorian waters. That's really amazing. And I mentioned a little while ago that it just seemed to be quite early. I know we, we report on orcas, but they sort of tend to, I don't know whether it's just my perception, but I've always thought they've sort of come after the, the you know, the sightings of the humpbacks and the southern riots. Is it a little bit early for them to be appearing? Yeah, it's really interesting about killer whales. They're just so unpredictable. They're kind of ballpark predictable, but not really predictable. They're highly mobile and wide-ranging, so they're very difficult to study and, of course, predict. So you're right, um, this is a bit early in terms of the history, but we have had them in July. We, we expect to see uh, the group we call EA1, which uh, includes an animal known as splitfin, which a lot of people know about. Um, usually about July they arrive, but um, these guys, we, we, we just thought for sure this must be Bitfin's group coming early, and of course it wasn't. Um, so yeah, um, July, August, and then right into summer, we have a few sightings around Port Phillip Heads and perhaps even Cape Shank as they make their way back east again. Now let's talk about the event that we've got uh, coming up next weekend, and I say we because we're going to be part of it here at Radio Marinara. We're so excited. Uh, what's happening next weekend? Uh, well, next weekend, well, in, you know, in the uh, absence of the whale festival down at Phillip Island, um, there's been a few activities designed to try and help keep people occupied and focused on the whales and be part of bigger things like the, the Two Days Whale Project, get involved in that and, and other things like that. So um, what's, uh, what's happened is a, is a colleague who has a company called Wild Diaries, which is a, an ecotourism company, which, of course, is not doing any business at the moment, has um, got this idea about setting up huge what we call big eye binoculars which have very very far ranging clear vision across uh, or over the horizon for our normal eyesight of course um, and attaching a webcam to that and then broadcasting those vision or that vision um, online streaming it online so um, we're, we're in partnership with uh, Phillip Island Nature Parks Destination Phillip Island Dolphin Research Institute of course Killer Whales Australia and a few other partners and we've there's the prize, there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's all been cobbled together to try and um, replace some events which other people may have otherwise attended, such as Spotter Whale, which was very, very popular when we were allowed out. <laughs> now that we're not, or at least uh, we're restricted somewhat, um, we have to replace it with something, and this is the idea. So uh, we're hoping to, um, to have that happening next weekend. And, of course, as you mentioned, Radio Marinara will be part of that. And we'll send you the Facebook link off, um, to watch that on. And if you could put that up on your Facebook page, hopefully everybody will join in and uh, see what we see. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And so exciting because whale watching is one of those things that I, th I can't imagine anyone not wanting to do that. And it's just something that, you know, relatively few people get to do that and for all kinds of different reasons but here is an opportunity this is one of these great things that has come out of um, our, our current you know awful situation with the pandemic and necessary um, isolation and particularly just you know with, with where we're at at the moment but um, it's 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 kind of really sparked this need for innovation and creativity in helping people stay connected through all kinds of different ways um, and and here is another one and it's just wonderful that you're doing this Dave and you know thank you and uh, really look Looking forward to next weekend. Well, I must uh, lower my colours to my colleague Simon Musto at Wild Diaries. It really is his uh, brainchild. We're merely providing some support to that and helping it run. And, and for the listeners who are, who are interested, it's from 10am to 1pm on Saturday and Sunday. But the Triple R Radio Marinara connection will, of course, be Sunday. And we'll have some great speakers. We've got people talking about penguins, shearwaters. We've got a great artist 
calling in from down on the west coast talking about his artwork for field guides on whales, dolphins, seabirds, and uh, Peter Gill talking on blue whales. Um, Sue Mason is going to do some, uh, some uh, chat about uh, common dolphins. So we've got a whole array of entertainment in case the whales don't show up or the weather's bad. <laughs> You've always got a plan for that plan B. You've got a plan for that plan B, and we're happy to give a surf report uh, from on site. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, that'd be good too. Excellent. Great stuff. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure and super, super excited about next weekend. Really looking forward to it. Great stuff, Brian. And thank you very much for having us on the show with all technical difficulties. And uh, hi to Kate in the background there. We'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Kate's been waiting so patiently and we're going to get him on very shortly. And uh, we will catch you next week. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Brian. Catch you then. Bye for now. Dave, Dave Donnelly there from Killer Whales Australia and the Dolphin Research Institute. And joining us live on the phone, Brett. Are you there, Brett Ditchfield? Good morning, Bron. Yeah, I am. I'm trying and sitting in front of a Skype machine waiting for things to happen and then the phone rings. So, yeah, uh, nah, Skype's in the bin. We're going with phones. We're going back to old school and it's working beautifully. <laughs> I'm just releasing the homing pigeon now. So uh, it's got the whole, whole show on board. This may take a while to get to you. You know, it's funny. I was having a chat with uh, Beck Hornsby uh, a little while ago, our, our wonderful... Um, uh, our our program manager here at Triple R, and um, she made we were kind of joking. This was at the very start where broadcasters were broadcasting from home, and she was saying it's it's often the you know the technical stuff ups that actually kind of they're the most endearing part of this whole scenario because it makes like you know of course we know we're all human, but it really just brings it all home about how human we all are. And I kind of and I agreed as a listener because of course I'm you know I listen to Triple R pretty. I've said before the only time I don't listen to Triple R is when I'm asleep, which is pretty much the case. And um, and yeah. Anyway, we're living that experience this morning. So we ha- we were having a good laugh this morning. We were like, <laughs> and as you said, you could feel the goodwill across the airways. Come on, get it together. Come, Come on. on, you can do it. And, <laughs> hey, how community cup is that? I know, and you know, this time last year, I was getting so excited to go to the community cup. We were, you know all dressed up, down to the train station, and just as we got closer and closer, there was more and more kind of colour, more rock dogs, more megahertz, and then the uh, Victoria Park. But there's always next year, isn't there? There is next year, and it will happen, and we all just need to hang in there because it will happen. And how glorious is it going to be? I don't think we're going to be able to play a game because we'll just all be hugging each other for two and a half hours. (laughs) I think that's the worry. There won't be, there'll be too much hugging. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got um, we've got Kate Howard and Cade Mills still online to do uh, their segment about dolphins' social structures. So we're going to quickly go to Cabin Boy Diaries. And All right. I'll you, be quick. You're going to no, that's okay. You're going to talk about cooter boats. Yeah. Well, they're kind of an iconic kind of Melbourne Port Phillip Queenscliff boat. So they've been around since the early 1885s. I think the earliest one was. So basically, fishing boat open up to about 26 foot. They're quite wide in 10 foot beam, and they carry a gaff rig with a jib on the uh, on a bowsprit. That's quite well, quite distinctive as it curves down. So they're a very familiar boat. Um, now, probably the 1920s, they had their largest fleet in Melbourne. They were designed to go out through the heads, and of course. Catch Barracuda, of course, that's where they got their name from. But um, they were used for all kinds of fishing uh, around the um, the Bass Strait coast. And, well, they were just a working boat, really. 
So there were 100 made. There were quite a few famous local builders such as Jones, Hanso, and probably Blunt and Laco that we're more familiar with. And they kind of then fell into a little bit of, well, they went out of fashion. Like there was motorised fishing. They kind of got just parked somewhere. And we lost a hell of a lot of the fleet. And they all started rotting away until probably in the early 1980s, Tim Phillips, who runs the wooden boat shop down in um, Sorrento, he bought a few and started putting them back together, bringing them back to life. So, And they've kind of taken off. So they're very, very popular at the moment. I had a look online last night at some photos of them. They're gorgeous boats. Oh, they're gorgeous, yeah. And they're like skyrocketed in price, of course. And then uh, that little kind of, you know, the humble fishing boat now, uh, favour of the Melbourne corporate set, because it's uh, they're all based at the Sorrento Sailing Cooter Boat Club down in Sorrento. And each year they get together to have the uh, Cooter Boat Classics and that's when all the titans of industry go down and put on their polo shirts <laughs> and their captain's hats. And, uh, yes, I think quite a few big deals are done while out sailing on a Cooter Boat. So do, do very, s- very far from the humble beginnings. Do you see any true Thurston Howler third types when you're out there? Well, I've got nothing to do with the Cooter Boat Club. <laughs> Even from because, a distance, uh, well, it is, but it is on the... Look, it's fantastic that they've re- revived the boats, but it, it is just kind of taken over in the corporate world. And, like, a second-hand boat, you could probably pick up for about $20,000, but if you want something that's registered with the Sereno Sailing Club and it's got a race record, you probably wouldn't be uh, too hard to drop at least $60,000 on it. Oof. Wow. Um, and a, you can also order a brand-new one. Um, Tim Phillips will build you a new one and uh, probably you're not going to get much change out of a hundred thousand but basically a 26 foot open boat so but yeah I'm, I'm thinking about your little boat that you're building in your own backyard which I'm guessing is you know your budget's going to be somewhat less than twenty thousand um, dollars how's that going it's coming along I've made a few mistakes which has kind of discouraged me a little bit so it slowed down yeah but Nothing that can't be hidden away, so no one ever needs to know about it. And if you're talking about $20,000, I reckon I'll get out of this for about 1200 So it's the little budget, though. <laughs> now, what have you got coming up over the next few weeks? Um, nothing much. We'll probably get down and get out. We Actually, the long weekend, we headed up to Williamstown and uh, spent the night there. It was uh, very cold, but um, once that sun was out, out on the water, it was beautiful. So... And as today, looking out from my leaf, leafy surrounds in Altham, I should be down there on the bay, but, yeah, we're not. We're stuck here. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be able to get out and, um, and do some uh, outdoor stuff down by the water or on the water because the weather's glorious for that and seems to be going to, you know, stay the case for the next couple of days at least. So, hey, it's been lovely talking to you, Brett. Um, really miss yep. seeing your, your face and looking forward to, to catching up with you um, in the near future and hopefully we'll be able to get some, get a bit of megahertz, you know, get together going yep. on. Maybe, well, yeah, I heard, maybe with, the, with I heard, the Rock Dogs, hey? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I heard the Breakfasters play the uh, Megahertz uh, theme song the other morning, so uh, we probably should have lined that up. Doesn't it just get the adrenaline going? Don't you just feel <laughs> the hairs standing up on the back of your neck when you hear it? Well, I, I did crank it up loud while I was in the car, and I was singing along, and I thought, 
There's a moment in Happy Gilmore where that where the uh, the original you know Gary Glitter rock and roll part two I think it is one two yeah, yeah uh, comes on and um, yeah I I always jump up and down. well my kids actually I just sit there and go yeah. This is the Megahertz song now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Have a great Sunday, Brett, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. For sure. And catch that, um, the the doco about the uh, Australian, the Easter. The current, because that was fantastic. Yeah, I mentioned that at the start of the program. Oh, yeah, actually, I that, heard that. Oh, you did? I was wondering whether that were when we had our three minutes of dead air. So um, that's good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, highly recommended. So, yeah, yeah. catch that. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks Brett. Brett. All right. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye for now. Uh, there you go. Brett Ditchfield and, um, yeah, Cooter Boats. Who knows? They're beautiful. Definitely worth checking out. Don't think I'll ever be purchasing one. <laughs> Don't have a spare 20 grand up my sleeve. Radio Marinara is where you are and uh, we've resorted back to uh, the good old-fashioned phone lines and um, with apologies to you, Cade, uh, the Skype has been an absolute... I I can't say the word that I actually want to say, but um, we still have Kate Howard with us on the phone. Are you there, Kate? Yes, how are you going? Oh, very relieved to hear your voice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> been trying to get you online since 9am so um, awesome that we finally managed to make this work so um, and and big thanks and apologies to Cade because he has uh, lined this segment up but we're, I don't think we're going to be able to have Cade as part of this um, but Kate, a bit of introduction to yourself, uh, you are the founding director and head of research at the Marine Mammal Foundation and we're going to be catching up about some, uh, this is from Cade again, complex social structures of dolphins yeah, yeah. So we uh, we work with the uh, research the baronet dolphins uh, that are out there in Port Phillip Bay and Gippsland Lakes, and uh, along with a lot of other marine mammal species that we do find. And you know, it is exciting. We had the the killer whale report, and you know, just uh, last week out on survey, we came across a humpback whale right uh, sort of a further offshore from Frankston. So we're sort of out there on the water doing this um, applied research, which is great. But a part of that program is having a look at the social uh, structure of these dolphins and you know they're high you know big brained animals and they really do have this complex um days of our lives thing going with with the dolphins that we see out there from from really long-term stable bonds that we're seeing with our males through to a bit more fission fusion society going on with our females i'm interested in your description of days of our lives is is this is this like an ongoing plot that you know, is it one of those things that you can not look at them for 10 years and then come back and they're pretty much doing the same thing? Well, it depends on uh, which which of the dolphins that you're looking at. So we identify each of the dolphins via their nicks and notches uh, on their dorsal fin. So that's a unique identifier. So we're able to um, catalogue and identify every dolphin in our population. And in doing so, we're able to have a look at, you know, how they're mixing together and who's being seen together and where they're being seen. And, and that sort of, it does have that days of our lives. Um, in particular with our mothers and calves, they have a three-year strong bond with their calf which means that we're able to identify the calving rate so who which of the mothers are successful um in you know every three years having calves others uh hang on to that relationship for a lot longer so their calving rate is um, spread further out and and that gives us a really good understanding whilst it's you know it can be choppy changing with with this social structure it does give us 
a really good understanding of their population viability. So the Boronan are listed as endangered um, and there's only around about 120 in Port Phillip Bay and then 65 residents to Gippsland Lake. So these are incredibly small populations. So having a look at social structure not only tells us the, the um, you know, that complex nature, if we have matriarchal females, if we have these, these boys that have these longer-term associations, but it also gives us an insight into the population's um, health and viability. It's, uh, it's fascinating. So you're saying they're critically endangered and there's only a certain, um, certain number of them. Uh, how, how do they interact with the, the, is it the common bottlenose dolphins in the bay? We've got two specific different populations. How do they interact? Well, that's a great question because actually we thought that the dolphins in the bay were the common bottlenose, but as a part of my PhD research, we found that they're actually completely separate species and named them the Baranan dolphin. So you're correct in that we have two species of dolphin in the bay, but the common bottlenose are actually found out in Bass Strait and the Baranan, the new species, are the ones that are found inside Port Phillip Bay. And now we also have a little population or you know, a cluster of common dolphins that sort of call Mornington um, so these are a zippy little numbers with long rostrums and uh, very different species. But, uh, yeah, it's quite quite complex in itself. But the um, what we thought was the common bottlenose in the bay is actually the Baranan dolphin. Right. So is it a bit of a jets and sharks situation where they sort of uh, are rival gangs or do, are they, do they manage to sort of coexist quite well? So the Baranan dolphins, they do coexist. Obviously, they're one one big population. Um, we do have uh, dolphins that show high sight fidelity to particular areas. So there are, in particular, the males, males that spend most of their time down in southern Port Phillip Bay. So we, we very rarely see them up off of Bayside or Altona. And equally, there are males up uh, that we find in Bayside area that don't uh, seem to venture down south. So we're having a look at that structure and and, you know, that could be related to, um, you know, access to different resources in those different areas, access to different females in those areas. So very complex. Um, I believe we have Cade on the line. Cade, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, there we go. Look, this is good. We've got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, I've got go, a Kate. quick question for Kate. And it's around, you mentioned drones. So two questions. One is how do you use them for your research? And then if you can finish up by telling us what the regulations are around the use of drones when it comes to marine mammals, that would be appreciated. Yeah, so the the use of drones is a new um, tool that we have in our sort of arsenal of, of research. So going out on, on the vessel and having a look at the photo identification, we do the acoustics, which, which I spoke about last time. But this use of drone footage um, allows us to have a look at the behaviours topside. So most of the time when you're on the on the water, you can just see their the dorsal fins and we do note different behaviours. But by putting the drone up, we can actually see that complex interaction um, mating strategies, um, you know, hierarchical positions within the um, within the pods. It's it's really actually uh, so fascinating, and it's a, another thing that I've had to learn how to do is to get my my remote pilot license uh, for use of the drone. So all under permit and all under animal ethics to be able to do that. Um, so no, it's a really great, a really great asset now to the research to be able to fully explore what we probably wouldn't be able to see from the boat. 
Um, in terms of the regulations, so we've been instrumental in the review of the marine mammal regulations which came out in 2019 and it still remains that uh, you're not to fly a drone within 500 metres of a, a whale or a dolphin. So uh, that's pretty much then when you look at the CASA restrictions, that's uh, above the CASA restrictions rate uh, for a non-pilot. So any sort of drone footage out there, you just have to be mindful that basically unless you uh, have those approvals, you shouldn't be putting drones up around whales and dolphins. Really important to keep that in mind because I think people just assume that they can send their drones out over the water and there's not an impact on anything and, and it's actually not the case and that's why these restrictions are in place with the regulations. So I'm really glad you mentioned that one, Kate. Yeah, and it's the first time that we've actually been able to have these these permits to be able to put drones up. And one of the important questions that we are asking is that, you know, what is the behavioural response to the drones um, from the dolphins, um, which is an important question. Um, and also having a look at uh, bird responses and, and those sorts of things. So it's really just bridging the gaps. It's not that research for research sake. It's actually having a look at the impact and the behaviour um, of the animals to... Um, um, to breaches to those regulations. Fantastic. Uh, Kate, we're out of time, but it's been great catching up with you. Uh, we will line you up in the next few weeks and we can have a, a bit of a longer discussion about some of these issues as well. But thanks so much for joining us this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye for now. That was uh, Kate Howard. Thanks also. Cade, thank you so much. We managed. It was a pleasure, Bron. You're an absolute professional <laughs> dealing with all that. Well done. <laughs> oh, you're kidding, right? <laughs> it's going to make us stronger next time. That's it all. is. Well, which well. will be next week. So you're going to be with us next week? I will be, yes, with Dr. Beach, I believe. No, that's actually going to be with me. So really looking <laughs> forward to that. So we'll have some good fun. Maybe we'll talk some more next week. Oh, it'll be more than a minute and a half for sure. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much to uh, Brett Ditchfield as well for Cabin Boyd Diaries. Thanks to Rex for his uh, maritime archaeology, as always, and uh, our Rex Hunter. And uh, thanks to Dave Donnelly. There we go, <laughs> just to close the show. <laughs> and uh, Dave is going to be joining us for that great segment next week. We'll also have a Life's a Beach segment and so much more. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. We have Doolittle and uh, Panel Beater, I believe, who will be taking you through to 11 o'clock when Dr Shane will be in with, no doubt, a seamless show. So have a wonderful Sunday. Get out there and enjoy some sun rays. It is gorgeous out there. Uh, thanks, Tim, for calling in. You actually gave us the boost we needed to get over the line. We'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now.